This is The Guardian. Today, the first of a two-part dive into the worlds of celebrity, media and British libel law. And what happens when they all collide at the so-called Wagatha Christie trial? The 9th of October 2019 began as a normal day at work for The Guardian's media editor, Jim Watson. And then it happened. There was this strange ripple that went through The Guardian newsroom as everyone collectively learned that Colleen Rooney had put this post on Instagram. It was a post that would have had, at the time, unknowable consequences for the wife of England footballer Wayne Rooney and everyone else who was about to be caught in the crossfire. More than two years later, that Instagram post lies at the heart of a sensational multi-million pound trial due to begin next week. Jim, like everyone else that morning, began to read what Rooney had written. For a few years now, someone who I trusted to follow me on my personal Instagram account has been consistently informing the son of my private posts and stories. There's been so much information given to them about me, my friends and my family, all without my permission and knowledge. And then after a long time of trying to figure out who it could be, I had a suspicion. To try and prove it, I came up with an idea. I blocked everyone from viewing my Instagram stories except one account those people must have been wondering why I hadn't had stories on there for a while. And then over the past five months, I posted a series of false stories to see if they made their way into the sun. And you know what? They did. The story about gender selection, the story about returning to TV, and then the latest story about the basement flooding in my new house. It's been tough keeping it to myself and not making any comments at all, especially when the stories have been leaked. But I had to. Now I know for certain which account slash individual it's come from. I have saved and screenshotted all the original stories which clearly show just one person had viewed them. It's dot 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 dot. I think there's actually nine dots have argued quite a lot about this. Drama. Rebecca Vardy's account. <laughs> Even hearing it again, I am so impressed by her sleuth skills. So just to be clear, Colleen Rooney was suspicious that someone was leaking her private Instagram post to The Sun. She restricts her posts so only Rebecca Vardy's account can see them. And those posts still do end up in The Sun. And when they do, she gives us this big reveal. How did people react? I think every emoji that could have been hit was hit. Every WhatsApp group chat lit up. It's Rebecca Vardy's account. Oh my God, this is scandal! Wagatha Christie, as some have nicknamed her. Colleen Rooney posted a series of false stories on her Instagram account. People forwarded this round. It was a proper accusation that Vardy had been caught with her hand in the cookie jar. Well, I know that people have got my account. And I know that, so that a lot of people have access to my Instagram account. That's life. That's what happened. Well, the question we've been asking you this morning, is publicly shaming a friend ever the right thing to do? Well, we're joined by two footballers' wives. And is that kind of sort of a wider representation of wag culture? Clean, she, I just know she's an honest, decent girl. And but so I cannot is believe. For years, every drunken night out, 
every fashion decision of the wives and girlfriends of England's star footballers, known collectively as the Wags, had been picked apart in the tabloid press. But no one had ever seen anything quite like this. Colleen Rooney claiming Rebecca Vardy has been leaking stories about her to the press from her private Instagram account. And now Rebecca Vardy, TV personality and wife of Premier League striker Jamie Vardy, is suing Colleen Rooney for libel. From The Guardian, I'm Noshin Iqbal. Today in Focus, the Wagatha Christie trial, part one. Jim, when it first came out, how did Rebecca Vardy respond to Colleen Rooney's allegation that she was the one who was leaking stories to the Sun? She's denied it. And she's denied it all the way through. Vardy's claim right from the off was that someone else must have had access to my Instagram account. Right. That sure, even if you think that this was getting leaked from my account, it doesn't necessarily mean that I was the person doing it. And this is a direct quote from her post. Over the years, various people have had access to my Insta. And just this week, I found I was following people I didn't know and have never followed myself. I'm not being funny, but I don't need the money. What would I gain from selling stories on you? I liked you a lot, Colleen, and I'm so upset you've chosen to do this, especially when I'm heavily pregnant. I'm disgusted that I'm even having to deny this. You should have called me the first time this happened. And then a broken heart emoji. In what sort of situation would someone else have access to Vardy's account? That's actually pretty common. That's actually pretty common. You know, a a lot of these celebrities who specialise in sort of being on the front page of Mail Online and doing endorsement deals, their agent and people who do their social media for them would have access. And we know that other people did have access to the account, according to the court filings that have since come out. And this is why we're talking about it today. Because while Colleen Rooney made that allegation, Rebecca Vardy, who's always denied it, decided to sue Colleen for libel. Mm. And this has set up a court case where, although Colleen says she's got this evidence that it could only have been Rebecca Vardy's account that did the leaking, Vardy, under Britain's libel laws, is able to sue Rooney, and the onus is on Rooney to prove it. So a lot of people might have assumed at this point that it was Colleen Rooney who had taken Rebecca Vardy to court. But actually, it's the other way round. Vardy is saying that Rooney has destroyed her reputation by making those accusations. Now, it obviously, obviously is a very silly story. Mm. This is a tale on the surface of two very wealthy women who are mainly famous for being married to prominent footballers, arguing about slightly inane gossip stories. But the reason that it's so fun, the reason that it's so interesting is because it exposes so much about how our media industry works, about how modern celebrity works, about how Britain's court system and libel laws work, and about how British journalism works. And all in all, with this one post, Colleen Rooney ended up blowing up the whole shebang. you have spent an awful lot of time in court covering this saga and there have been several hearings in the last couple of years that have revealed some pretty excruciating details. 
Can you tell me what it's been like? If you've never been to the Royal Courts of Justice, it's that place that's often on TV with a reporter standing outside with a grand Gothic Victorian entrance in central London. And it's where all the civil court cases in the UK end up, the really big ones. That's the stuff that isn't prosecuted by the police, but is individuals or businesses going at each other. Right. And you go into these panel courtrooms, you walk up the stairs, you see the QCs earning thousands of pounds an hour, you see the judge standing up there, and you hear someone read out the messages from Rebecca Vardy's WhatsApp, and you hear a well-educated, expensive lawyer say, she thinks it's me that's been doing stories on her. Of all the people on her Instagram, FFS... And goes on to say, that C word needs to get over herself. From the sounds of it, slightly surreal. It's so incredibly th- surreal. You, you, you just have the farce of millions of pounds being spent on who did or did not have access to an Instagram account and may have passed information to the sun. It's an absolutely bizarre circus of a court case which has played out over hearing after hearing with judges begging them to just settle this, to go to mediation, to come to an arrangement, and both women absolutely committed to fighting on to the trial. Before we get to the nitty-gritty of the court case, can we go back and understand a bit more about where Colleen and Rebecca came from? Like, how did they become famous? What kind of culture did they come up in? Colleen was the childhood sweetheart of Wayne Rooney. Remember this name, Wayne Rooney. Colleen was a teenager when she became famous. She was of immediate paparazzi and tabloid fascination. Colleen, Colleen, how's Wayne? And ended up becoming a fixation and a regular throughout the 2000s and the early 2010s. You know, there's some girls out there, I've seen it, you know, when you go to clubs and stuff, you know that there's, so, you know, a few girls that go to try and get a footballer, and I've, I've witnessed that, but um, a lot of it, you know, I speak to older people who Wayne's um, place with, and they've got wives and kids, and they don't like that, too, you know. People think that all footballers' wives and girlfriends are all the same, but we're, we're people as well, we're individuals. The difference between her and Vardy is that Jamie Vardy, his career peaked much later. Is he excited about it? Does he feel pressure? Has it changed? <laughs> Jamie doesn't get excited about anything. He didn't oh, even really? get excited about our wedding. So, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's just what he's like. Rebecca, she kind of was added to the group that already existed. The press has been fascinated, as you said, with footballers' wives and girlfriends for years now. Wag culture has become standard tabloid fodder. Where does it stem from? The 2006 World Cup. Perhaps she felt she'd been away too long, but this afternoon, Victoria Beckham marked her return to Baden-Baden with a walk for the cameras. Guaranteeing more exposure for the phenomenon that is the WAGs. The England team were based in this place called Baden-Baden, and all of the journalists and all of the photographers were there. The World Cup may not have been won yet, but in the glamour stakes, England's WAGs have emerged victorious. Maybe it's because the hooliganism wasn't that bad, or England's football that good. But for the past three weeks, the Wags have coined a new nickname, occupied acres of newsprint, and made Garibaldi's a small bar in a German spa town 
internationally famous. And it was this confluence of the, the, the pre-phone hacking peak of tabloid competition where the money was still rolling in, the online world hadn't destroyed magazine and paper sales, and it meant that there was just this endless appetite among the public for photos of the wives and girlfriends of the England players and what they were up to. One of the paparazzi photographers who was there on the ground, George Bambi, told me how it all came about. I remember the wags, how they actually got the names. One of the lads was captioning up a set of pictures of the wives and girlfriends, and he just put wags and sent it into the sun. And from then on, the name stuck and the sun started using wags. Why was it that the sort of 2006 onwards Colleen Rooney types were of interest in a way that previous generations of, of wives and girlfriends of footballers weren't? Because they were in Germany, they were in a hotel, they were all in the bikinis and all in the short skirts and all like, you know, the, the fashion that they had. But every night they were going out getting absolutely legless, jumping up and down on top of tables and bar tops. And I mean, all the, all the pictures that we took were absolutely amazing, you know. Did they welcome the attention? Um, yeah, they did. In the early days, uh, it's quite a good question because in the early days, they did welcome the attention. It's before all the days of all the social media accounts and stuff. Um, and then basically it became a sort of competition between the girls uh, who could get the most coverage and who can get in the papers and stuff. I mean, I remember one day we were going down through Baden Baden. I was taking pictures of Cheryl Cole at the time, uh, Victoria Beckham, Colleen Rooney. And as I was walking down the road, one of the footballers' wives grabbed hold of me by the arm, pulled me into a doorway and said, why are you not taking any photographs of me? Am I not good enough for you? And she made me go down the road and shoot a set of pictures of her because no one else was interested in her. Oof. Gosh, George really does remind me of how grim that period of tabloid culture just really, really was. Jim, what do you think the wives and girlfriends of footballers make of the word wag? Well, I mean, it's pretty sexist. It's reducing people to their relationship with someone else. I mean, when Vardy herself appeared on I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here in 2017, she said that the term wag was ridiculous. I dislike the wag term. I think it's very dated. Um, it doesn't offend me, but that's not who I am and it doesn't define me. But at the same time, while quite a lot of them stayed away from the spotlight and you just don't know their names, for a small but significant group, being the wife or girlfriend of a famous footballer was partly about boosting your own fame and being used as a springboard for your own celebrity career. I'm Camilla Wright. I founded the celebrity gossip website Potpitch. What's what's your understanding of the relationship between the wags who go down the wag route and the tabloids? <laughs> how much of it is is one side feeding off the other and how much of it is is a symbiotic relationship? Ah, that's a good question. I think probably you'd have to say there was a symbiotic relationship because most of the famous wags are there because they want a profile. I can't think of anyone who's reluctant famous wag you'd have to be willing to do the fashion the photo shoots or to give the interview and therefore you're profiting either through fame or money 
How does that work then? Is there anything you can remember of that infamously happening, people who had really close relationships with tabloid journalists? I remember an incident uh, when a famous pop star uh, copped off with a famous sports star in a, in a club. Um, and when she got back to his house that night, the first thing she did was use his phone to call into the sun, to her contact in the sun. And obviously that was the lead item on Bizarre the next day. And he was surprised the next morning to find that there were paparazzi outside his house asking him how his relationship was going. It took him weeks to work out what had happened. And as you could imagine, the relationship didn't get, didn't get much further than that night. <laughs> One of the things that we found funny while planning this was that trying to approach some of the famous wags and suggest an interview and the response kept coming back uh what how much does the guardian pay and we had to explain <laughs> that well the guardian doesn't pay anything <laughs> which uh, you know shockingly they then declined to take part but what i find fascinating is these people are in relationships where at least one partner is generally earning millions of pounds a year yeah why do they need the money well i guess it's it's a sense of value it's a sort of, I don't get out of bed for less than 10,000, but, you know, why would I give some words that might backfire on me or photographs that I don't see something out of it? It sounds like a big part of the equation are the photographers. Jim, you spoke to George Bambi. What did he have to say about his work? What's the most famous photo you've taken? Uh, David Beckham scratching his um, nether regions. George Bambi is... Uh, an interesting character. Among other things, he claims to be the son of Charles Bronson, uh, but okay. he's also uh, a man who describes himself as Britain's number one tabloid photographer. What makes you the number one paparazzi? There's a few people who might challenge you for that title. Well, there's a lot of people trying to challenge me for it, but at the end of the day, it comes down to how many front page covers that you've had, and I've had miles more than anybody else in the country. He is a man who says he does it for the money and he doesn't really care about the feelings of the people involved. Straightforward guy. What was the uh, first time that you photographed Colleen? The first time I photographed Colleen, she was probably 17 or something. She was, uh, she, she was a young girl. Wayne had literally just signed for Man United. And obviously, you know, you took a set, of, it was really weird because you take a set of pictures of Wayne and Colleen walking down the road when they were sort of 16, 17, and the papers weren't really interested. But you got a set of pictures of Colleen walking down the road on her own, and everybody wanted to buy them because obviously the papers and all that were interested in like her fashion. And, you know, uh, Wayne's obviously earning, you know, half a million quid a week. And then you've got some, you know, girlfriend that's 17 years old that potentially would, you know, just be doing a normal nine-to-five job that's been thrown into the spotlight on the back of what a husband or boyfriend does for a living. How much would a, a set of pictures of Colleen as a teenager fetch? It's interesting you should say that, because years ago, the price for pictures was absolutely horrendous. I mean, getting a set of pictures of Colleen going to the supermarket shopping, uh, putting the shopping in the back of a car and driving home, could fetch 12, 15 grand. And that was because, like I say, there's a massive interest in what she'd be wearing. There'd be a big interest in what food they were eating and a big interest in what car they were driving and what jewellery she was wearing and all the rest of it. Uh, I mean, those paydays are long gone now. Did you ever feel uh, a bit weirded out by photographing a, a teenage girlfriend of a, of a footballer? Well, at the time, I worked for an agency. I worked for a company. 
Um, and basically, um, they'd say, right, we want you to go and get sets of pictures of X, Y, and Z, and we'd just go and do X, Y, and Z, and that was it. I mean, you know, Wayne, w- w- Wayne's wife, Colleen, was in the public eye. Um, it's as simple as that, basically. How common is it for people to be shocked that stories are ending up in the paper and then find they were sold by someone close to them? Happens all the time. Thing is, you've got all these celebrities. Uh, One thing I do feel sorry for a lot of them is that a lot of them don't have any real genuine friends because, you know, it's very difficult for those to bring people into their inner circle without money because a lot of the people they bring into the inner circle without money, they... That you know that they, they want money that they, they see things as an easy opportunity to make a few quid so it is very difficult for them money is just one of those things that uh, that make people do really awful things like me being a paparazzi i do it for money a lot of other people that are involved with these celebrities if they, they think they can make a quick five or ten grand in there then nine times out of ten a lot of them will do it it's as simple as that Jim, how has that dynamic, by which I mean the relationship between celebrities and the press, changed with the arrival of Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat and so on? They don't need the media in the same way. It doesn't mean the media don't matter. It doesn't mean that being in the sidebar shame on Mail Online can't get you a load of attention. It doesn't mean that you can't build a career out of being in the sun and getting that front page story or that photo of what you and awards do. Mm. But you can control your image in a different way. And there's lots of little things. If you see a paparazzi take a picture of you, just take the same shot yourself, put it on Instagram, everyone will take it for free and the paparazzi can't make any money. And if you get a reputation for doing that, well, you just don't get chased anymore because you're just ruining their income stream. You can portray yourself and curate yourself in whatever way you want. And you can also then build up your influencer business selling things off the back of that. As you put it, it has actually given celebrities back some control over their lives and there's much more value in a story on Colleen's private Instagram because no one makes money from what she posts publicly. If you want to see what Rooney is up to on her public Instagram, well, you can go there. And if you don't go there, then every outlet can write it up all the same. But if you're a outlet that wants scoops, no matter how small they might seem to many readers then the value comes from having access to the stuff that no one else does have access to. And that means getting into the private account. And what we've learned in the reporting of this case is that Rebecca Vardy did have inside access to celebrity stories and she and her former agent, Caroline Watt, did discuss trying to sell some of those stories to the tabloids. In the court filings that have come public as part of this trial, there's a moment which is quite extraordinary where a Chelsea footballer called Danny Drinkwater, a a former teammate of Jamie Vardy, crashes his Range Rover. And there's this excruciating exchange. And this is how it goes. Rebecca Vardy, story, Danny Drinkwater arrested. And the agent replies, for what? Vardy says, crashed his car drunk with two girls in it, both in hospital with one with broken ribs, X. Caroline says, fuck, when? Beck says, he's only just been let out of the cells, last night. And then adds, I want paying for this. Kiss. I want paying for this kiss. 
So that's an exchange that she had with her agent. That's an exchange that Vardy had with her agent in early 2019. And the agent goes on to say, I phoned up a journalist at The Sun. They say they're already aware of it because someone at the police station has told them about the car crash. And all of this suggests, and Rooney's team say, this shows that Vardy was actively engaged in flogging stories to tabloids. Whether or not that was directly or through her agent is a different matter. The issue is, does this prove that in the specific case of Rooney that she was doing this? What would be her motivation to sell that to the son? Well, she might want the money. There's also the idea that people want to take your calls, that there's a favour that could be traded in in the future, that you might be able to get that coverage for yourself, Mm. for that project, for that next thing. There's one exchange between Vardy and her agent where the agent says, make sure you go up to this Sun reporter at an awards do. She's really nice about you. She always writes positive articles and she takes her down and changes other people's copy when I ask her to. So, you know, that's that's the sort of level of quid pro quo. Be nice to this person and they'll look after you in the future. Coming up. Both sides are refusing to settle out of court, and the trial is set to start next week. What will Colleen Rooney and Rebecca Vardy be arguing? Coming soon, a four-part investigative series. A new civil rights division has been set up in New Orleans. Their task? to re-examine thousands of cases and work out whether those people should still be in prison. This six-month investigation takes you into the heart of the Deep South and asks, is it possible to right the wrongs of the past? Listen to The Division New Orleans from this Friday, 6th of May, and across the weekend on Today in Focus. Jim, the trial is starting next week and there have already been a lot of pre-hearings in which judges have defined what Colleen Rooney meant when she wrote it's dot, 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 Rebecca Vardy's account. So what have they decided on? This is a key thing that people don't understand about libel law. There is a moment in each case where a judge takes the words and says what they really mean. Mm. And that is what the case will hinge on. Not what people thought, but there is an agreed precise meaning that the lawyers will then argue over. Whatever Rooney thinks she meant by that post, a judge has ruled that it was a direct allegation against Vardy. And anything else is almost then superfluous. You can argue it, but that has been ruled on and the case will be run on that basis. So in this sense that even though Colleen had actually written Rebecca Vardy's account, the judge has calculated that the real meaning is still pointing at Rebecca Vardy as being the one who's accused. And not someone else who happened to have access to that login. And what's at stake in this? What happens if Rooney cannot prove it was Rebecca Vardy that leaked those particular fake stories in the trial? Then Rooney will likely lose the case, will be left with a million pound plus legal bill, Do we have any sense of how much this is costing for both of them? We're well over a million quid on the legal fees. And there's the potential for damages on top of that, because if she's libelled them, she might have traduced Vardy's reputation. 
Jim, there's clearly so much more to find out about this case and we will get into it in the next episode. Thank you so much. Thank you. That was The Guardian's media editor, Jim Waterson. My thanks also to George Bambi and Camilla Wright. Tomorrow, we'll hear how the truth of this story may be lying on a mobile phone at the bottom of the North Sea. That's it for today. This episode was produced by Elizabeth Cassin and Hannah Moore. Sound design was by Rudy Zagadlo. The executive producers are Phil Maynard and Mithley Rao. We'll be back tomorrow. This is The Guardian. <laughs>